0: Hey, good morning, One Chapel. Brent Parsley here, so glad that you're here. Of course, across uh, the region today, we've got people meeting outside on the lawn at all four of our different campuses, and we're so glad that you joined us here online. Thanks for coming, thanks for being a part of the family. I'm excited to study the scriptures today and see what Jesus has for all of us. Today, we're actually continuing our series that we've called, What If Jesus Was Serious? So now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us that we are salt- and light. But the question is, what did he mean by that? And and how, how are we supposed to actually do that? Well, today, I'm going to try to help us figure that out a little bit so that we can go and live it out. So we've been talking a little bit about how today many people are saying that following Jesus is actually just getting more and more difficult. It's getting more and more difficult as, as our society becomes increasingly what we're calling post-Christian, and how many Christians today, they feel like they're kind of being pushed back, like they're being pushed to the outskirts of society. And so our tendency is to want to react to that. Like we want to we push back. We want to run out and fight the culture war. We want to go take the land by force for Jesus. And most people think that Christians being pushed like that, it's happening because we take Jesus too seriously. Like this is just what happens when you hold to values that, That society wants to abandon. But what if, the question we're asking is, what if the actual problem isn't that we haven't taken him too seriously? What if the real problem is that we haven't taken him seriously enough? What if the problem isn't out there in our world and in our culture? What if the problem is actually right here? What if it starts with me? So we're working our way through Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a list of to-dos for us. The Sermon on the Mount is not a bunch of positive lifestyle principles that we're all supposed to try to attain. That's not what it is at all. No, what we've discovered is the Sermon on the Mount, it's a life-changing invitation to join King Jesus in bringing what's up there down here, bringing, Kevin, he, bringing heaven to earth. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And so when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we have to read it with kingdom of God lenses. So I want you to put those on today, and we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Like it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So throughout this entire series, we're continually asking the question, what if Jesus was serious? What if he really meant what he said? And if he did, what does that mean for us and how do we respond to it? So from this section here today, from the Sermon on the Mount, if Jesus was serious, well, I think you and me, we have several ways that we need to respond. And the first thing that we see as we look at the scope of this is that if Jesus was serious, then we should seek an ordinary life over a famous one. That you and I, in this life that we're living, we should seek an ordinary life instead of a famous one. Now remember, remember who Jesus was talking to when he spoke this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 1 said, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, he sat down, and it says his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So the Sermon on the Mount is for disciples. It's for you, it's for me, it's for those of us who follow Jesus. But disciples weren't the only ones there. Matthew said that the crowds had also gathered. So Jesus is saying all of these things, your salt and light, he's saying these things to ordinary people. Just your ordinary, average Joes and Janes. Completely unremarkable people. And some might even say backwards people. These backwards Galileans. So we're not talking about the Romans who were in power at the time. We're not talking about the religious leaders in Jerusalem. No, no, these are actually just average folks. Like you, like me, just nobody special. And to these average people, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And notice that he didn't say, you could be one day if you try hard enough. You might possibly one day get to be salt and light if you do a good enough job. No, actually, he just says, you are salt. You are light. The scope of that statement to these people takes our breath away. Like you ordinary, average folks, you're the ones that I choose to be salt and light. I'm not talking about the elite. I'm not talking about Caesar. I'm not talking about Plato. I'm not talking about the religious leaders. I'm talking to you. And Jesus didn't say that you're like the salt and light of your neighborhood. You're a salt and light of your little region around here. No, what he said was, you are salt and light to the world. So author Sky Jatani says, Jesus affirms the world shaping value of ordinary people who follow the ways of an extraordinary God. But all this isn't necessarily our natural Inclination, You know, when I was a youth pastor in Colorado Springs years ago, you know, I did what most youth pastors do. We tried to encourage students. We tried to lift them up and we tried to inspire them to live a huge dream and have a God-sized vision. So we'd say things like, you're history makers. Get out there and change your campus. You are going to change the world. And we had the best intentions. Our motives were good. We wanted to implant a vision, but The reality is, in that that time, there's probably one or two schools that really kind of had a a prayer group that expanded and a bunch of kids got saved. And we actually had a a school down south that was bussing kids into our student ministry and kids were getting saved and it was transforming that school. So much so that the principal came to check out what we were doing on a Wednesday night to see what was happening because his school was being transformed. It was amazing. But for most of those students, that wasn't the story for them. They were ordinary students serving an extraordinary God, doing their best to follow Jesus. But we're quick, aren't we, to jump to influence? We jump to fame. I read a recent study in psychology today, and it said that three-fourths of young people, three-fourths of young people, their dream in life is to be famous, to be a YouTuber, to be a star. And in fact, it said that uh, for many students, if they they don't get 100 likes on one of their posts, they just delete it because it's too embarrassing. Like, this is what most of us think of We think, oh, yeah, I just, I want to do something big. I want to do something grand. I want to change the world. And look, I'll use all of that glory for the kingdom of God, of course. But the reality is the world doesn't need more social media influencers or YouTube stars. Maybe Jesus has called you to that, and that's great. But I think Jesus wasn't asking and didn't expect these average people to go out and change the world. He wasn't asking them to go out and change things through their remarkable feats and actions. Jesus expected his ordinary followers to be the source of the world's most essential ingredients, salt and light. Pliny the Elder, he was a Roman writer and a contemporary of Jesus in the early church. And he said, there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Very important, of course, in the first century. These are incredibly helpful in the ancient world. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But if we're going to be salt and light, here's the thing. That doesn't mean that we have to do extraordinary things. We don't need massive influence. We don't need tons of likes. We don't need to have countless followers. What our world really needs is more salt and more light. And more salt and light are the outcomes of an ordinary life, lived in the Jesus way. And our world could really use more of that right now. I listened to a podcast this year, earlier this year, and, and I don't remember who said it, but the pastor that was on the podcast said this, and I want you to remember it with me today. He said, don't try to do extraordinary things for God. Just do things for an extraordinary God. Isn't that good? Don't try to do extraordinary things for God. Just do things. Follow Jesus. Be obedient. Do things for an extraordinary God. And actually that points straight to what I think we see in this passage second, which is if we're gonna take Jesus seriously, then we're gonna live for God's glory and not our own. There's a really, I think, confusing and difficult question that arises out of this passage right away. You know, Jesus says, you should be the light of the world. That's what you are. He says, you're a city on a hill. You're providing light. It cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. You let everybody see that. In Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Well, when I read that, that looks to me like we should be on grand display. Like Everybody should see us and the works that we're doing. But later in the sermon, we're gonna see that he actually says the opposite. He says, Hey, when you give, do that in secret. Like don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I don't know exactly how that works, but don't don't even let them know. When you pray, you should do that in secret. If you're gonna fast, you should do that in secret. You should wash your hair, wash your face. Don't make it weird, man. Which one are we supposed to do then? What's the deal? Should we be seen? Should we be hidden? Well, first, I think you have to realize that our intent matters. Our heart, our motive, it matters. What Jesus was rebuking was the ways that the religious leaders, they prayed and they gave and they fasted because they were doing it so that everybody could see them. They could see how awesome they were and how much they loved God and how holy they were. They just wanted people's approval. Jesus says, shine your light in a way that brings glory to God and not you. Shine your light in such a way that God gets all the glory and you don't. So when we're shining, when we're doing these things, we've got to check our motives and understand whose glory we're actually seeking. The second thing is Jesus said that personal devotion, like like prayer and giving and fasting, those should be hidden. You think about it. My neighbor doesn't immediately benefit from my fasting. Like that's between me and God. I'm receiving the benefit of that. But the good works that Jesus speaks of, the works that are salt and that are light, well, these are the things that are helpful to others. And so then we have these two ideas as a guide. If the act is for me, if it brings glory to me, then I'm just gonna keep it hidden. But if the act is for others, if it's gonna bring God's glory, then we shouldn't hide it. Instead, we should point all of that to the glory of God. And no matter what comes our way, we turn that glory and point it back to him. And as we go through all of this, salt and light, and how we're supposed to be that in our world, I think it highlights this third really big idea for us today. And that is that we should, according to Jesus, if we take him seriously, we should engage culture rather than withdraw from it. Most of us look around at our world and we go, man, this is bad. Why is it so bad? And who's to blame for all this bad? And more and more in our culture, we're asking those questions. Why is this so bad? As we watch our society become increasingly divided and polarized. And throughout the years, the church has actually responded to the world in different ways, responded to the culture in different ways. And one way is we've often tried to just escape it. Like I wanna, I wanna flee the culture. I wanna get out of here. I'm gonna take mine and I'm gonna peel back. I'm gonna hide out. I'm gonna make sure that I don't get infected. We're gonna gather everyone up inside the church. We're gonna shut the doors, close the windows, and do our best in here to be holy and not get infected by anything else. I remember when I was a younger man, the year was 1985. And there was an album that was released that year. And it was by an artist named Amy Grant. The album was Unguarded. And I don't know exactly what happened, but there was a major stir around this. And my 10-year-old brain couldn't comprehend. All I knew was we used to listen to Amy Grant, but now she had crossed over. She crossed over into the mainstream secular media. And now we weren't supposed to listen to her anymore. We were supposed to get rid of those cassette tapes and not listen anymore. And I looked at the album cover and, and I, I, I realized, oh, this, this is crazy because there she is. She's wearing this leopard blazer. Looks very exciting. She's wearing pants. She's dancing in different poses on different album covers. They had a series of them and she was dancing? And so the pastors and the youth pastors and everyone was saying, we don't listen to her anymore. We want to peel back. Now, of course, I had older siblings. I was 10, but I had older siblings, some of whom you know, and they were very rebellious. So I listened to this album a lot. They were Christian rebellious though. So that, so I would listen to this album and I thought it was pretty great, but the world was not ready for what was coming in 1991 with Amy Grant's next album, Heart in Motion, but that's a tale for another time. The point is, is that we do things like this. Get rid of the album, burn the CDs, throw out the televisions, boycott the businesses, protect, hide, escape. And even worse, we sometimes point the finger and blame other people and groups for the problems that we see in the world. But Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't seem to advocate for that position at all. In Matthew five thirteen, he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. You're the salt of the earth, but if it loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's, not, it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Jesus says, You're salt, you're light. And his call for us to be salt and light, it means that we have to think seriously about how we're gonna respond to the world around us. Because being salt and light means that we actually have to be positive influences in our culture, in our world. He says, Be salt, don't lose your flavor here. Be the light, don't hide it under a bowl. But man, what does that mean? Like, how, how can we actually do this? How are we actually supposed to be salt and light? Well, to understand that, I think we have to go back to the first century and we have to consider how would the first century audience understand salt and light? How would they hear about salt? What would they think when Jesus said that you are supposed to be salt in this world? Well, in the first century, they would understand quickly a few things. The first is they would know that salt is a preservative. Like it was used to preserve things. Salt would be worked into meat to keep it from decaying. Salt would preserve it. Now, we don't use it like this, we don't use it like this anymore because now we have modern technology. We have things like, like refrigerators. And so we don't need this, this, for this usage anymore. But to the crowds that are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they would understand because they had used salt as a preservative. They used it to prevent decay. So what does that mean for us today? Well, Jesus calls us to go into every sphere of influence in our culture to do good and to be present in our world to slow down the decay in our society. We go out, we preserve the things that are good. We expose things that are wrong and unjust. We go into our offices, we go into our middle schools, we go into our high schools and our colleges, in our homes, at the mall, at Torchy's Tacos, everywhere we go, we make things better. We preserve what's good. We stand and we slow down the decay through the spirit of God and his love and his peace and his joy and his gentleness and his kindness. Salt was a preservative. We're here to slow down the decay. The second thing that they would use salt for is they would use it for a disinfectant. If they were injured or wounded, they would take that salt, put it on an open wound to help clean it up, to help prevent infection. So the second thing that salt did that these first century hearers would understand is, salt created the conditions for wounds to heal. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that wherever we go in this world, we create the conditions for healing to take place. Now sometimes that's not always true of us. Sometimes where we go pushing our own agendas, sometimes we cause division. But when disciples are being salt in the world, we bring healing. We bring healing to every relationship. We bring healing to people who are in pain, to people who have been abused. People who are walking through divorce, people that have been abandoned, people that are suffering, people that experience tragedy, people that are dealing with the death of a loved one. And listen, you already know in your office place, in your home, in your family, there are people everywhere that are hurting around us and they need help. There are people that have been hurt by the church and they need you and they need me to reach out to show them the love of God, to create the conditions for healing, for forgiveness, for life to come, for change to happen. That's what we can do. The presence of God in us, it creates the conditions for healing to come. So if you want to be salt, like Jesus says to be salt, then you and me, we got to move towards those that are hurting, not peel back in fear, not cower, not wander away, not say it's somebody else's problem, but move forward towards them and bring healing to our world. The third thing that they would think about when Jesus said that we should be salt, they would remember just like we do, that salt was a seasoning. I mean, they use salt like we use it today. It just makes food taste better. I love it on some scrambled eggs in the morning. There's just something else that happens though that's really amazing when we use salt. Like just think about it. What happens when we eat salt? Water retention is not what I was going for. Not talking about bloating today. What I'm talking about is when you eat salt, salt makes us thirsty. Salt makes us thirsty. So when we live like salt in the earth, we make people thirsty for the living God. We cause people, wherever we go, to thirst, to thirst for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is who we are. This is what we do. And I'm not talking about from platforms or from your Instagram account or for your Facebook page. Those things are useful, but I'm talking about relationships. This primarily happens through relationships. It happens through you. As you interact and love your friends and your family. As you interact with coworkers, and they look at you and they say, "There's just something different about you. You handled that situation differently than than that guy did. You extended forgiveness to that person that hurt you. I've never seen somebody respond in that way. What is different about you?" And you tell them that it's King Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart and they give their lives to Jesus and they're forever changed. We make people thirsty. And by the way, I've watched this happen around one chapel. I've seen it happen with you as you relate, as you reach out, as you love people and people are forever changed because in you they see Jesus and like salt, they start to get thirsty. But then Jesus also gives us a warning. He says in verse 13, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So the question is, well, how does salt lose its saltiness? How does that happen? Well, if you think back to your junior high science class, you'll remember that salt is actually sodium chloride. And so when salt loses its flavor, it was because it was diluted by other chemicals. Other chemicals came in and diluted it. And this is the temptation that we've been talking about so far in this series. The temptation is, man, lighten up. Just relax a little bit. Don't take this value so seriously. You don't have to hold to your biblical values so much. Just relax, ease up. You'll be more accepted. You try to make Jesus a little more palatable to the world around you. Just don't be so hard on all this stuff. Now, I understand that the message of the gospel can be offensive. Why? Because it's an, it's an affront to the way that most of us selfishly want to live our lives. It's about giving up what we want, it's about surrendering to a new king and a new kingdom. And some of Jesus' statements, frankly, as you read through the scriptures, well, they're hard to take. But the people, the churches, the denominations that have decided to do this, to try to dilute the gospel, to try to make it more palatable, Well, they're in trouble today. They're they're shrinking today because everybody, there's only one true gospel of Jesus. There's only one story the good news of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come and it's available to you. And there's a king and he's a good king and he loves you and he gave his life for you. This is the real story and it's a transformational story. So let's keep taking Jesus seriously. Then Jesus says, he adds to this, not just salt, but we're to be light. What does he mean when he says, you're supposed to be the light of the world? Well, I think when he's saying this, he actually had one picture in mind. He actually had a location in mind when he said it. I was in Israel this January, and you can easily see where Jerusalem sits on the top of a hill. So Jesus was using this very familiar city, this very familiar scene to make his point. He's talking about this entire town being lit up that you could see it for miles. You know, one candle, one candle doesn't always do a ton. But you know, on Christmas Eve, when we all gather together and we light one candle, it makes a little difference in the room. But then as we go and pass out candles, as we sing Silent Night together, as we light the other candles... One candle lights another, and then you have hundreds of candles in a room and it lights up the entire space. This is what he's talking about. Now just imagine for a second traveling in the ancient world. You're traveling around, you're on your donkey, you're riding on the camel, you're traveling in the dark of night. There's no road signs, there's no reflectors, there's nothing to guide you or to lead you. And so you're in fear for your life because you're thinking, I've heard the stories of people I heard that one guy tell the story of that Samaritan guy. And that guy got jumped and robbed. And that's going to happen to me. So you're fearing for your life. You don't know if you're going to make it to the next place. And then suddenly in the distance, you see a bright and a shining light. And suddenly you're comforted because you know now you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to be safe the darkness that's been scaring you is gonna be dispelled and you're drawn to the city of God. That is what we do. We are the light of the world. And hey, by the way, in this passage, and he says, you are salt, you are light, that you in the original language, it's plural. So you wouldn't say it just like you. Around here, we'd say it like this. We might say, all y'all, all All y'all are are salt. All y'all are light, you all are the light of the world. So Jesus gives us these two pictures. We're salt, we're light. But the interesting thing about these to me is that these two themes, they're very, very different. In fact, in some ways, they're actually opposites. Because see, salt salt actually only works when it gets scattered. You know, you, you, you put it on meat to make it taste good. You, you spread it around. And when you scatter it, now it's working as it was meant to. But light, light only works when it's gathered. When the light comes together, the more light that comes together, the better it works the way that it was meant to. So which one are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to scatter? Are we supposed to gather? Well, I think you're ahead of me. The church is meant to gather and to scatter. The church is meant to gather and to scatter. To scatter. We, we gather together on Sunday morning. We gather together for an hour to worship and to pray and for community and for study of the scriptures, for fellowship. But then we scatter for the other 167 hours of the week to reach out, to disciple, to make a difference, to heal, to help, to preserve, to slow down decay. This is what we're here for. Jesus did not have in mind just one hour on a Sunday morning where we'd gather together and that was good for the week. No, he was interested in the kingdom of God coming for the other 167 hours as well. That's why we're pushing in. That's why we're saying, get together with some people that you love and trust. Study the scriptures this week. Pray together this week. Share a meal. Enjoy communion together this week. Pray for each other. Help one another grow. So we're salt and light in this world. So instead of pulling away from our culture, we should start asking, why? Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to withdraw? Why are we trying to escape the world's problems? Is it because we don't know how to help? We're, we're, we're unsure? Are we just trying to protect our own self-righteousness? We don't want to be contaminated by them? So Jesus says, that's really not an option for you. That's not what you do. In John Stott's The Message of the Sermon on the Mount, this book, he says, the Christians need to examine why we've withdrawn from the problems of the world into the safety of our own communities. He says, Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat, to stop it going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world but should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It can't do anything else. The real question to ask is, where's the salt? Where is the salt in our world? The better response, the Jesus way response, instead of blaming our culture or some other group when society is going crazy, instead of trying to peel back and protect ourselves, we should look inside. We should ask, where are the Christians? How have we helped? Or how have we hurt this situation? And what can we do differently? How can we be salt? How can we be light in this situation? Honestly, everybody, I believe that our world is hungry for the kind of integrity and kindness and love, and gentleness that Jesus is teaching in this sermon. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're living life in his kingdom, then you have the answer. You have the answer to the anger and the division that's going on in our culture. So we are salt and light. Let's decide that we're gonna take Jesus seriously so that our culture, our world can take him seriously too. Right where you are, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, we take this call seriously. We thank you that you've placed us into the world, a world that you love. You love so very much. And God, we say yes to being who you want us to be, to preserving, to healing, to helping, to making people thirsty to shining the light of God into our world so that darkness is dispelled, so light can come, so transformation can happen. And we ask, God, that you would do this in one chapel, in our family, put it deep into us, help us to respond in this way. When the world seems crazy, help us to remember, help us to lean in, help us to say, where's the salt? Where are the Jesus followers? And give us the grace and the strength to respond. And Father, today, for any of us who are saying, I'm on the outside of this, I don't don't know Jesus. I haven't surrendered my life to the king or his kingdom. God, we, we do that right now. And if that's you, maybe just pray this prayer with me. You say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you paid the penalty for all of my sin. Would you apply that to my life now? The best way that I know how, I surrender my life to you. I wanna live in your kingdom. So teach me and help me. I say yes to you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.